Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher, founder of Blackstock Consulting. Now with this short series, we're going to be focusing on regeneration in different UK cities. Um, We're bringing together some of the most senior figures in the industry and some of the characters that we'll speak to today and over the next few days and and over the next week or so also. uh, They're some of the most iconic people in the industry behind some of the most iconic schemes and hopefully you'll be able to glean a bit of insight from them. They've been through one or two recessions, it's fair to say and live to tell the tale Um, but hopefully uh, some of these conversations will give you a bit of hope a bit of inspiration for some of the times everyone's experiencing at the minute and today's propcast features Maya Bourbon founder Marcus Mayer Uh, they're a European private equity house focused on on all key core European cities uh, with a blend of of opportunities, blend of developments focused right across uh, different asset classes. John Hitchcock, who also needs no introduction, he's the chairman of You, YOO, uh, and they're known for, for basically ripping up the rule book when it comes to residential right across the world. And more recently, uh, you, uh, John Hitchcock, have been stewarding Olympia's regeneration plans right through. And that's that's obviously been derailed a little bit. Uh, but as John will, will, will talk in, in the conversation recorded a little bit earlier on, he's really confident about what that future looks like. Um, Marcus dialed in from New York where he's celebrating currently the recent birth of a new son. Uh, John, uh, it's funny enough, also become a dad for the second time around a few years ago. Uh, he's been up at the lakes in his fabulous development uh, in the Cotswolds. Uh, but when they live in the capital, both of these two actually are neighbours down in Notting Hill. Now we didn't talk too much about the uproar uh, recently seen over second homeowners but in the conversation recorded earlier we did chat about Olympia uh, and also about Whiteley's uh, which is what Mayor Bourbon has been focused on uh, alongside the the 2 billion euro cross bay platform which Mayor Bergman has also just launched which is focusing on urban logistics part of an ongoing diversification push from the business uh, and I started by asking Marcus Mayer how he felt the current situation w- was, was working out and, and whether he was positive or negative about the, the current circumstances. Well I think what definitely made it uh, less stressful than for a lot of other people the last couple of weeks and months is, is that we don't have any hospitality exposure so we don't have any hotels that we own or operate uh, we don't have any leisure assets like five-a-side football pitches to uh, movie chains and movie screens or you know businesses like that or, or fitnesses gyms you know things that basically have been you know completely closed down for the last couple of months and will probably be opened uh, at the latter end of the, the, the complete sort of removal of these lockdowns so in that sense we haven't had any major emergencies in our portfolio that we've had to deal with in terms of you know layoffs of operational personnel or furloughing operational personnel personnel or things like that so that helps i think the second thing is obviously debt that that's causing stress for quite a few people and i think luckily we don't have any major financing facilities that we either have to arrange or that we have to refinance over the past couple of weeks but also you know not nothing really major until the end of the year so i think that helps quite a bit because i think that means that generally speaking, we can still service our debts or service a substantial part of it. But it also means that we don't have to you know, run around in the market right now looking for major financing facilities. And I think John, John is in the same position on, on the Olympia redevelopment that we were on, on Whiteley's, where we concluded that financing in December. I think, you know, if, certainly from our perspective for Whiteley's, if we would have gone out today or over the past couple of months since the COVID situation started, 
to look for that kind of loan facility. I think it would have been, you know, a lot more complicated, if not, you know, near impossible in the current environment. It certainly would have been substantially more expensive. And you're doing a, a quite a big repositioning piece with Wiley's that's, that's going to include a lot of residential and other uses. We we won't deliver Wiley's until sort of mid-2023. So we have quite a lot of time still to hope at least that the residential market in London will make a turnaround. You know, obviously there are very few new construction starts in London because of Brexit uh, and now COVID as well. So I think if you look at major new residential developments in London that would compete with Whiteley's in sort of 2021, 2022, 23, there's very few schemes that are actually coming on the market. So that, that gives us a bit more confidence that, you know, there will be strong demand for it when the time comes for us to sell. I think on the hotel, we signed the deal right before the end of the year again with Six Census. And I think we we got lucky there as well, of course, because I think in the current environment, that might have been more difficult with a lot of these hotel chains in at least some element of distress. Mm. And for the retail, you know, the retail is essentially going to be reduced to, to, to street level retail. And as, as you know, from the current environment, that, that market is tough anywhere, whether it's in you know, cities or shopping centers. So there, you know, we're lucky that we don't have to go to market to try to lease that space for at least, you know, another year and a half to two years. So in that sense, the bigger focus on Whiteley's right now is just, you know, keeping the actual construction on track, moving the design process forward, you know, making sure that we can squeeze out construction savings where we can and that we get the marketing and sales office for the residential, um, you know, ready for the end of the year. Yeah. So, John, in terms of uh, uh, Olympia, then, you've obviously made some fantastic progress with the scheme. Planning has come through pretty quickly. Financing's there designs are looking amazing what what can people expect from that project now are you going to be uh, powering ahead as planned yes i mean we've we we are in industries in olympia that have been hit very very hard which is the the, the conference and exhibition space which is probably going to be one of the last to reopen with both sort of supply side and demand side uh, certainly the consumer is going to be nervous as as i believe is going to be the you know, the occupiers. So I think the the silver lining for us in, in in that situation, we've had to furlough a lot of people. We've had a lot of shows cancelled, as you probably know. We've um, turned Olympia into a food bank with the local authority, and that's been a, a fantastic success. What it does allow us to do is to accelerate the construction. And again, like Marcus, we're fortunate that we're fully funded. We're deep into the construction and design first phase really and we have the opportunity now to accelerate the whole project through and we're not going to be delivering for another two or three years although there will be a large amount of the site still open but we were always scheduled to actually reduce the size of it because of the level of construction works so it's sort of you know the the silver lining played into our hand a little bit uh, from you know some, some very difficult situations i mean the industry the conference and exhibition industry has been absolutely massacred as, as you can imagine there is some light at the end of the tunnel we say you know there was a big car show that opened in china a couple of weeks ago and there's some more coming through and we're watching really with great interest is to see what leadership is going to direct us to do and what the market is going to direct us to do on that side. I think ultimately the scheme is going to be fantastic because we've, you know location is brilliant. We have 14 acres. We have a, it's a two billion pounds, two and a half um, million square foot scheme. We're 
deep in discussions with almost all of the space for for tenancies, both from from theatres through to cinemas, through to hotels. They're all deep in design phase and things are all moving forward. I think what the opportunities that come out of this situation, I think, is it's a great time to build. It's a great time to discuss your building prices. It's a great time to design. It's a great time to, to get planning. It's a great time for these unique projects and you know both Whiteley's Olympia and they're projects that are very few and far between and they're likely because of their their just their natural status and their heritage are going to come through this and always have a good level of demand and what um what you know when you reflect John Hitchcock on on previous cycles that we've that you've been through you know over the last quarter of a century odd sorry um um thanks Andy. sorry about that plus sadly uh yes yeah, <laughs> i think i counted six cycles the other how many day cycles? Well, so we- first one i launched it was in 1981 i didn't even know it was i didn't even know it was we were in a recession i was so naive it's fantastic so it's uh yes yeah, it's the new the new bed notches how many cycles have you been through um but but i mean but when you reflect on those i mean because i guess it, it, you know you you've always operated globally haven't you that the whole concept of you is that it's been a global design business that's i think the big thing that we've been very fortunate in is building communities and building creative design orientated city enhancing projects Uh, i mean i look at i'm sat here at the lakes today we launched this in 2007 2008 we've had a consistent level of sales all the way through that period of time I think the reason is because people were making decisions in terms of lifestyle, not in terms of their sort of classical measured return on investment property angles. And I think if you can create a product that people make a decision that I need this in my life rather than this is a good investment, I think you, you, you're you going to succeed. And then beyond that, if you can design and create something that is really interesting for the city, the, the city will give back to you in the form of planning and in the form of enhanced uh, agreements. Mm. So, I mean, for me, I mean, the, the unique thing about this is that there's no devil. The devil is the is the virus. We don't, we're not having failing banks. We're not having failing greed, albeit that I think the cycle needed to come to an end is not the right word, but it was pretty frothy. Uh, and Mar- Marcus, what, what's, you know, from your perspective, what are you seeing this time around versus versus previous years? Um, well, it's not too dissimilar in the sense that I do think, I agree with, uh, with John that, you know, I don't for the time being see a massive amount of distressed debt, uh, you know, coming on the market or distressed assets. I think it will depend a little bit on how much longer the lockdowns will sort of continue for certain types of assets, whether, you know, the impact is going to be bigger and therefore there's going to be a bit more distress. I think it's it's certainly increased the amount of distress that's already in the retail market, particularly out-of-town retail and shopping centers, department stores, those kinds of things. But that was something that, you know, it sort of accelerates the pain that they would have had to take anyway. Some, you know, you see it here in the US, but also in Europe, you see quite a few retailers taking advantage of the situation, which is understandable. So people like J. Crew, uh, JC Penney, Karlstadt in Germany, you know, Debenhams. I think a lot of those firms that were struggling to close more stores or lay off employees because of, you know, unions or employee representatives on the board, you know, whatever the political challenges were to, to push those major further changes through, I think 
COVID sort of perversely has given them the ammunition to push through uh, major transformations, whether mm. whether that means that a JCPenney or a Karlstadt or a Debenhams will actually have a long-term future, nobody really knows. But that, that's, you know, that's obviously going to have, a, that's obviously going to have an impact on the shopping centers and the shopping center occupancy. But where's the opportunity there, though? But because but, I guess, Marcus, a lot of a lot of where Mayor Bergman has been focused, you know, over the last few years has been a, a lot of city centre mixed use schemes going in, repositioning assets in Paris, in Milan, in Oslo, in Germany as well. Uh, and, and you're going in there, you're you're looking at ulterior usage, you're pushing the boundaries of, of planning consents and 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 just mixing things up. So, so what opportunities do you do you think are going to arise from this to mix things up a bit more well i think there's there's easy things that you can you can kind of see which is that a lot of retail in particularly very busy pedestrian streets or high streets retail went more vertical so people started to convert office space or resi space to retail because retailers wanted to trade over two stories three stories four stories like you see on oxford street and like it's been happening in bond street and i think that's reversing in many locations now because obviously the retail just can't affordably trade over more than one or two stories anymore. So I think any scheme or inner city shopping center or you know any major inner city store that has more than two levels of retail, I think, will have to be repositioned. And your 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 current couple of projects you've got in France are looking at a blend of of workspace and residential, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, what we did in France is a combination. So we bought a hotel that that we're converting from because it was a a hotel that was really too small and needed too much capital investment to still make it profitable. So we bought it essentially when it already closed down and converting that to to two stories of retail and then the rest is offices. You know, that's one example, but we're also looking at opportunities where, for instance, you know, you have inner city shopping centers that sit on the, on top of transportation hubs, but where the retail is actually doing well on the, on the lower ground and the ground floor because it, for instance, gives direct access to the subway station but where the upper floors is, just don't work as retail. And then, hmm. you know, you'll have a lot of vacancy in these in these assets. So concentrating the retail that still works on that ground floor and lower ground floor, but everything else basically, you know, is, is then a conversion opportunity to office or residential. Hmm. So your focus is a, is, is, is a bit more on these sorts of light touch conversions where you can go in, pick something up at a good price and, and create some good value from it. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty for us with, with you know really big conversions and big developments like Whiteley's is that you know we have closed ended funds and as John knows as well these schemes typically take quite a long time even even if you're really lucky on the planning like we both were it still takes time to buy an asset get vacant possession if you need to get the planning for it then actually build it you know and then and then obviously what I've seen with my father who was a developer since you know the 1960s the problem is often that the person who then has to sell a development at completion because he's run out of time. Usually it's the next investor that buys it from the developer that then makes good money on it because, you know, that's when it stabilizes and when you can really start to squeeze the performance. So it's hard to put these really big roundup developments or redevelopments into into our funds, which is why we yeah, we typically focus on on transformations that are a little that, that we can achieve, let's say, in a twelve to twenty four month sort of horizon. Uh, and, and John Hitchcock, in, in terms of, I, I guess, in terms of some of the cities that, that you've worked in over the years, you know, what, what are some of your 
favorite places what are some of the schemes that that you wish you'd done you wish you'd been involved in or or would have liked to have i i mean well, well i wish i'd been involved in the empire state building the chrysler building you know all of frank lloyd wright's designs um <laughs> I, I, I mean i enjoy most every city's lovely i mean we've we've, we've been very fortunate to work in so many and, and and one of the great thing and i and i you know i was 20 years i probably spent 200 days on the road and and uh I'm now five kids in, five kids at home now, um, and uh, I'm really enjoying getting on a bicycle from Notting Hill next door for, to Marcus and cycling down the road to Olympia. And yeah. the thing that's one of the biggest changes for me with this um, COVID situation, as we spoke about earlier, is, is the acceleration of technology in terms of travel and transport. All of us, I've been pushing our office for a long time to really push all of our partners towards used to be called Skype and then it was then it was you know all of these uh, Microsoft Teams and Google Hangouts and all of this and it's now called Zoom um, it, uh, uh, you know and all of the, these technologies which is great and it's just I think it's going to be interesting to see on how much this is this changes changes behavior permanently I think it will certainly have a change so so do you see do, do, do you subscribe to this death of the office theory that, that some no i mean I, no i don't i don't do that at all but i mean we, we it's very the interesting music thing, it seems to be a lot of property agents that are the ones pushing this out which seems slightly <laughs> counterintuitive to me but that's just my view yes it's quite interesting isn't it i mean we've lurched from brexit to covid and there seems to be an obsession with pessimistic situations the fat lady hasn't sang really and the, the crystal ball is quite murky at the moment on what is going to happen and you know, i'm i'm, I'm down is, she, is she going to be headlining olympia though <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the vertical high rise, for example, and you start thinking about you have to have two meters between you and every person, that means you're going to put one person in an elevator to go up 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 floors. And, uh, you know, and then the other way of looking at that is if every person has to have 12 square meters, which is about three or four times what they currently do, that means you have to bring back a quarter of the staff to work that you used to have. And then the crazy knock on effects like, do we all need to apply for planning to be able to work at home? Does the office now have to contribute rent to people that work from home? I don't know. There's lots of things to iron out. But what the overall thing I think for me it's had is this classic work-life mix where I can be having this conversation with you guys now, really enjoying it, and I can go downstairs without travelling and I can spend in this particular case, I'm going out for a ride with my family. And, 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 you know, and that, I think, is fantastic. And, and it's a huge shift. And that's happening you know, across the planet in terms of cities. Uh, and Mark, Marcus, from, as, a, as, a, as a Dutchman <laughs> yeah. who's, who's obviously uh, lived you know, many different places, you know, you're active now in, in, in various cities. How are you finding that dynamic change between, I appreciate you've, you've obviously not travelled to Europe for, for a few weeks now, but how are you finding that dynamic shift between uh, places like Italy, France, Germany and, and your home country? Yeah, I think as a European, I mean, whether you're English or Dutch, I, I think we're both relatively open countries. There are two countries that have always, uh, you know, been very involved in international trade. So, so I think the Brits and the Dutch are relatively similar in that sense that we're always, uh, you know, we've always had a very open mind towards travel. Entrepreneurial, mariners. Exactly. Explorers, adventurers, <laughs> traders. 
Buccaneers, pirates. So uh, <laughs> yes, we've got it all exactly. So from that perspective, I think I've you know for me it was never a, a kind of a question mark whether I should move beyond Holland shores, which are relatively constrained anyway. So it's, it's a relatively small country, as you know. And so for me, it was always obvious that I wanted to be active on a more international scale than just uh, than just being in in the Netherlands. And obviously, London was the if you live in the Netherlands, you know the the most cosmopolitan place, the closest to Amsterdam is London. So that for me, that was a very, lo- you know, right after graduation, that was the logical place to go. It helped, obviously, that, you know, not many people in the world speak Dutch. Uh, it's not a particularly attractive language. So um, so that helped as well. So I spoke I spoke French. But so, yeah, that, that means you're always, you know, because you speak the languages. So whether it's French or German or Italian, you know, that makes you immediately much more comfortable to operate in those countries than if you don't speak a word of that language. Yeah, I mean, John Hitchcock's how how important going forward is the the international canvas going to be? Are, are we going to you know do do you see us becoming a much more inward looking country after we come out of COVID, after we come out of Brexit? You know, are, are the days of 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 bringing lots of global investors into London going to end? Are you, are you still going to be doing projects around the world? I think there's two questions there. I think there will be a, a flight to quality in London and the UK because of its whole legal structure and because it's placing as a, as a global city for so many reasons that we've talked about for many years. I think, I think that, I think you will see people looking uh, at London as an investment opportunity. How many of those opportunities are going to come up is going to be interesting to see because interest rates are down 70%. <laughs> You know the base rate, so you know. So you know the cost of debt at the moment is not going to actually squeeze many people that hard in in our industry, apart from the particular sectors like retail that we've been hearing about. I mean, our approach has always been thematic, so we'll create a product, and it'll either be a big piece of placemaking or it'll be a design orientated project with sort of themes. And the themes that we're working on at the moment, I think, is to export this lakes concept. We think that the staycation is going to become more popular. We think uh, second homes outside of major metropolises within an hour or two are going to become really interesting like we have here. I I know from the the people that we have here, a lot of them are talking about upgrading and then making their London homes slightly smaller. Um, so we see that as a theme. We see micro living as a theme that could be that, that, that there's a level of, of globalization too. Um, will people be travelling so much between cities? I, I think the human is an adventurer. They are. They, they. You know. I think we will return to to travel. I think it will be slow this time next year. We're probably going to be well on our way to back up and running. I think there's a bunch of people that are desperate to get out and party and go somewhere and do something. Well, we should we basically need to head to the lakes for that, then, it sounds like. I mean, <laughs> yes. Mark, Mark, Marcus, in terms of in terms of your new pursuits, uh, Mayor Bergman has been investing a lot below the radar over the last couple of years in urban logistics, and you've recently announced CrossBay, which is a new platform you've unveiled to focus on urban logistics across Europe is the first platform of its type investing in single tenant urban logistics assets. What, what, you know, what inspired you to, to make that shift? Cause it, I guess it's an extension, isn't it? Of your current, uh, city center strategy. And, 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 it, and it's a bit of an extension, isn't it? Of, of where you, where you began your journey in retail. Yeah. I mean, I think because we were so 
uh, so focused on retail. I think we probably saw the, the writing on the wall for retail earlier than some of our peers. And so, you know, really around 2012, 2013, we were already actively turning away from shopping centers and retail parks and really trying to figure out and thinking about how this transformation of retail and consumer tastes and everything else was going to evolve in the next few years. But what was already clear was that the advent and the growth of e-commerce was just going to continue to, 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 to accelerate and continue to have a more and more impact essentially on bricks and mortar retail. Mm. So, so, how much, so how much have you already raised on that? So it's going to be quite a sizable platform, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, today we've deployed close to 500 million euros of GAV. Now, you've got to remember that these assets are really small. So we, we tried not to buy into a sector that was already where the prices were already driven up by people like M7, Blackstone, Goodman and Prologis, et cetera, et cetera. So we tried to, to really pinpoint a sector of the industrial market where we felt we could still get in at really attractive prices. And this sector was one. And the, and the reason for it is that most of the assets, you know, are relatively small lot size. So most of them are sort of maximum 20 million euros piece but usually it's sort of an average of 10 million euros of total investment size which is about 10 to 20,000 square meters and usually that's the size that you get when you look for industrial assets very close to city centers so but that also makes it much harder for a lot of our competitors and for institutional investors to really scale up because the sizes of the deals are just so small so you really need you it's a very granular job to to basically create size it comes about scale then exactly so going forward then, where do you guys see the, the, the kind of future for, for institutional investment? Obviously, you know, everything's trading at a discount right now. There are going to be some people that come out of this um, with their allocations bent a little bit out of shape. Um, you know, what is your message, John Hitchcock, to investors right now? What is the case for investing into real estate? Is it, you know, is, is it a good long-term place to, to be storing capital? For me, we, we've been cash positive for the last four or five years plus. If you, if you look at where you're going to get a return on, on investments, I'm much more pro-property than I am equities at the moment because there's going to be a little bit of a dislocation. I thought these sort of yields where you're looking at four, five, six percent were so low, bearing in mind I cut my teeth in interest rates between 10 and 15 percent. Uh, and obviously in many countries we, we work in, they're all still at those levels. Now we're at an interest rate which is 0.1% and possibly talking about negative. I think, you know, we're gonna we're gonna reach new lows on yields. Um and so you know, I'm 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 very positive. And you know, we're back to bricks and mortar. There will be some requirement for liquidity for land coming coming through now whereas before it was very very highly competitive and and you're going to get that natural flush out you're going to get reticence from people that are not professionals and you're going to get reticence from from banks not to work with people that are not professionals got a lot of negatives in there but where I'm I'm going with this is I think there are I think there's going to be some good opportunities and I think the fund managers and the asset allocators will be recognizing this now and I, I would have thought and will be coming out to play. And, and Marcus, are you seeing that as well? Do you, do you see we're going to have a, a, a flight to prime coming out of this? Yeah, yeah I agree 100% with, with what John said. If you look already at what's been going on in places like Paris and, and Berlin and Frankfurt, you know, compared to London, and I think London will, will adjust that way again. 
once there is a bit more clarity on Brexit as well. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of doom talking about, you know, the real estate agents and the property press at the moment. Sorry, Marcus, to bump it. But there's a hell of a lot of doom being spoken about at the moment. And I'm not seeing that translate onto the street. I got a a, a residential mortgage letter to to refix my interest rate yesterday at (laughs) 1.2%. I'm just going, I've never seen anything like that. And so uh, you think of that as you could borrow a million pounds and pay £12,000 a year, you know, if you can't make that money work in our industry. So I think people are going to come back quite positive. There's been a lot of people that haven't been able to move. There's been a lot of people that have been stuck where they are. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be wanting to change their lives. I hope, I hope that the government is going to recognise they've got some stupid stamp duty policies and that's going to increase the mobility of, of people and, 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 and open up some, some more liquidity in, in, in the marketplace. But... And there's some tax changes and things you could make. Uh, and Marcus, just 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 moving back to Europe, then, Marcus, what 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 do you see? You know, what do you see the landscape being in different cities? You know that that movement to prime that well, you, know, you talked a little bit I before about yeah, uh, yeah. about transport hubs effectively footfall becoming the new anchor tenant. Well, I think I see the same trends everywhere. You know, whether it's London, Paris, Berlin, I think as as. Uh, I think, as John was saying, I think yields will continue to trend down. You know, right right before COVID, prime office yields in Paris were, you know, 3% or below 3%. They've probably, during COVID, they probably moved out by 25, 30 basis points, 40 basis points maybe, just because there's fewer players in the market because some investors just said, you know, we can't go back in until we can start to see properties and things like that again. But I think those yields will quickly come come down to three percent or lower again. And I think, as you know, as John said, with interest rates being even lower than pre-COVID, I think that that process will continue. I don't think there's a huge difference, to be honest with you, between you know central Madrid, central Milan, central Berlin, central Paris, central London, central Stockholm, Amsterdam. Uh, I think those are all places that will continue to thrive and 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 have strong both tenants interest from offices, residential tenants, and also retail in the right places, uh, but also from institutional investors. So I, I don't see that shifting very much. And then it's just a question of, you know, what's the opportunity to unlock those deals in those markets uh, before, you know, everybody's already looked at them. I think the, the one thing that I think people don't have good visibility on yet is how a lot of these, particularly continental European governments that are already at the UK partially as well, but how some of these governments that already have quite high debt to GDP ratios on, on government finances, you know, how some of those countries are going to be able to bring those borrowings down over time. And I think the only way, you know, they, they obviously will all hope for ec- economic growth to get them there. So I think the UK certainly with Brexit sort of on the background will be very pro-growth over the next couple of years because they'll have to be. But I also think that very few of these countries can afford to increase taxes on the sort of middle class and lower middle class. So just from a politics perspective, because obviously those are the the people that have already probably been the hardest hit by the COVID crisis. So in my view, I think there's going to be an increasing push in some of these countries to increase uh, taxes on the wealthy and to increase, you know, you've heard in the Netherlands, there's just been a a committee of multiple experts who made recommendations to the government about how the tax system should be overhauled to modernize it, but also to allow the government to recoup some of these additional borrowings uh, that they've had to take on for COVID. And I think 
the, the main recommendation that came out was to increase the wealth tax. And the French, I think, will do the same. And I think quite a few of the European countries will follow that way because it's kind of the only thing that they can politically, you know, allow themselves to get into. I think that'll be good for the UK because obviously the UK in that sense is, will be, you know, a bit more separated from Europe and they'll be able to have, you know, a more independent taxation regime and they'll be able to have hopefully a bit more of a liberal financial regulation regime. So I think that will all help UK economic growth. It'll also help places like Monaco and Singapore because obviously it's going to be more and more people looking for lower tax regimes. Well, yeah, so. people looking for, for different different climbs. So one final question, John Hitchcock. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self starting out now? So for anybody listening to this that's, that's early on in their career, that's looking at, at taking on their first uh, smaller project, what, when you, what, what one piece of advice could you give someone that might might help them get through the next six months? I think I think the the answer there lies in the question, Andy. Property is a long term <laughs> play. Um, you know, I, I I look at all the things that I've done over the last thirty five years, and if I just stuck to my business plan, which was kind of hold, refinance, rent, in financial terms, I would be very much better off. In terms of having fun, having done interesting things, I, 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 we've gone out and done some really interesting stuff in many parts of the world and the whole thing for me has been a big adventure which ultimately is the thing you've got to remember yeah absolutely so marcus again from yourself what one piece of advice that you you might give a uh, you know not the younger mr mayor but maybe the newest mr mayor now, i grew up in an environment that was highly entrepreneurial so my father was a very experienced but still uh you know quite entrepreneurial developer in continental europe so he took very very large risks early on and uh, diversified his business. Then in 1982, when the crisis hit in the Netherlands, he had to restructure the business and refocus it on, on uh, real estate development. So I always grew up in an environment where taking risks was kind of a relatively natural thing, not necessarily completely excessive risks, but, but taking risks. And I think not many people have the benefit of that. And that's something that obviously is, is something that you can probably learn, but it takes much longer. So I think, you know, having exposure to a culture of taking particularly educated and managed risks is really important because I think most people will, uh, will never learn that or they'll never be comfortable with it uh, until probably it's too late in their career. So I think part of what John said is it's obviously always easy to sort of sit down and say, look, I'm just going to stick with what I have. And uh, like, like they say about Donald Trump sometimes, where if he would have invested what he inherited from his dad, in the stock market and indices, then he would have made a lot more money than what he ended up losing and making in real estate. But ultimately, I think taking those risks, surrounding yourselves with the, yourself with the right people and learning from your mistakes, I think eventually you'll certainly have a more interesting life. And probably in some ways, you'll probably be more successful as a person if you do take those risks and uh, reinvent yourself. I think what's now more relevant, and John is doing this all the time as well, or has done this for many years, I think one of the most difficult things for people, I think, is to reinvent yourself. That's probably what really sets real entrepreneurs apart from wannabe entrepreneurs. I think really the ability to, to sort of leave behind what you've done before and step into something new, even if you've done it for many, many years, I think that's one of the hardest things. 
Thank you then to John Hitchcock and to Marcus Mayer. Thanks for listening to today's Propcast. Coming up uh, on the this City Regeneration series, we'll have a discussion with Sir Stuart Lipton and former Reba President Jack Pringle. And we'll also hear a little bit about an exciting project to totally repurpose York, uh, York City Centre. Uh, and, and, and as well as that, we'll also have a, a, a few more discussions in the next couple of weeks around the Great Estate. So if you'd like to get involved, please do get in touch. Uh, please do share this propcast and, and give us a bit of a rating as well. It helps get, get it out there. Uh, and if there's anything you'd like to come on and discuss, do not hesitate to get in touch. But thank you very much for listening and hope to listen to you soon. <laughs>